You are listening to content from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. For more information, you can find us on the web at ChristOurHopeAnglican.org. And now, here's today's message. So I was born and raised in South Carolina, but for most of my life, I have never felt like a Southerner. My parents moved to the South not long before I was born, so the culture in my home was not quite the same as the culture that surrounded me. Um, They were still new to the South, and though they came to love it as they lived there for quite a long time, when I was still young, they were still not certain if this was their place and if this was their people. So if I came home and I started to pronounce things with a Southern accent, they would correct me and say, no, that's not how we say that. Um, And being the conscientious oldest child that I am, that like was in my head for my entire youth. I did not use the word y'all until I came to Colorado because I had to have some space before I could actually get myself to, to use that word and admit that that was part of my heritage and my culture too. It's funny, but at the same time, it contributed to me feeling as a kid like I didn't really have a place that was mine. I didn't really have a home, somewhere that I had deep roots. I wondered where I belonged and if I would ever really find that place. And that feeling of unrootedness is part of why these last couple chapters of Revelation have always held such beauty and promise for me because they talk of a home and a place where I will truly, truly belong. And though my experience as a child is part of why I had that feeling, there is a sense in which it is true of all Christians. In 1 Peter, when he's writing to the churches, uh, Peter says that you are all sojourners and exiles. You are all people that are really, you don't really belong in the place that you're passing through. And you know it and you feel it. In chapter 1, verse 9 of Revelation, when John is writing, he says that they are uh, fellow, he says that you're your brother um, and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. He's looking to his belonging to a kingdom because right now he's in exile, literal exile in Patmos. He's, he's stuck there. And so he's looking to the fact that he belongs to the kingdom of God. And this is where his true home is. And this is where the home to all of those whom he's writing, that's where they really truly belong. In Revelation 21 and 22, this vision that we read at the end of this book where we see the the new heavens and the new earth, John was given a vision that he shared with us of the day when the kingdom of God would no longer be an idea, a place where we talk about where God's reign is manifest, but we can't see it. It would be a literal city that would come down, a place that we could go. And this vision is of utmost importance to the book of Revelation as a whole, and it's important to us as we walk in the Christian life. We've already seen throughout the book of Revelation in those moments that we have jumped into that John has been calling the churches to patient endurance amongst suffering. 
that he recognizes not only is there a tribulation to come, but that as Christians we walk with trials and tribulation right now, and we are called to to shore up and to hold up underneath that. But it makes a difference what end we are waiting for. I think of the Greek legend of Sisyphus, who was condemned by the gods for his hubris and had to roll a boulder uphill with never being able to get to the top. Every time that he got close to the top, he would have to go down to the bottom and start over and again. And this was his punishment for all of eternity, is that he had to climb up this hill, pushing a boulder, doing labor and work for it never to end. And this legend, even though it's a Greek legend, uh, it's not something that happened. At the same time, it captures something that is true about humanity, that we know if we have labor that never ends, it is too much for us. The punishment is awful. Compare that to when you go out and hike. My daughter is, uh, my oldest daughter is hoping that this summer I can take her out to climb one of Colorado's 14ers. She thinks that she's ready. <laughs> she probably is. But it's different. It's going to be labor and work to get to the top of a 14er. I've climbed several of them. And it, if you're climbing one of the longer ones, it can be exhausting. But you know that there is an end. And there is a reward at the end of rest and beauty. And because of that, climbing the mountain is not something that is this condemnation. It's not this endless cycle that you're stuck in. It is joy. And so we need to know that when we talk about patient endurance, the suffering that we endure under is not forever. None of us can hold up under that. That is too much. But the promise is that it is not forever. There is the promise that we have an end of joy, an end of a place where we belong, where every tear is wiped away and suffering is no more. And so we have real hope and we can endure through the trials of this life because we can see what is to come. The purpose of this vision, though, is not only to give us hope that we can hold up underneath and to help us endure our present suffering. There is also an aspect of this where to know what our end is transforms our present life. I think sometimes we wonder if thinking of the end really has value. If thinking of heaven and the new heavens and the new earth Does it really matter except for having maybe a nice story to comfort myself with when I am suffering? We can pick up the philosophy of that great philosopher, Johnny Cash, (laughs) who said that you could be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good and wonder if that might be true of us if we look too much to the end. But in reality, the opposite is true. There's a quote from C.S. Lewis where he actually encapsulates that. He talks about how the the fact that there are people, uh, the people who have done the most within the church are exactly those who have looked most to heaven, that the apostles looked to their reward. We look at Paul. He knew what was coming. He knew about his time with God. And so he says that it is those who look to the end, actually, that they look and pursue heaven. And in pursuing heaven, they get both heaven and earth. The end that we imagine shapes the way we live. And this is true no matter what end it is that we are imagining, no matter what end we are looking towards. 
there are those who believe in just a simple materialism, that after the body dies, that it goes away. And people who believe that can have one of several ends. It's not all just one big bucket that everybody falls into. But for many, it leads them to hedonism, to the idea that eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And that we are just supposed to pursue whatever pleasures we can to get as much out of this life as I possibly can, because this is it. But if they can't find that pleasure, when sorrow comes, they just try to mask it with more substances or, or more pursuits of hedonism, and they just hope that they can fill the hole that they feel by reaching after things that never really satisfy. Or maybe some people have that idea that there's nothing after the end, and they take that and they spend their whole life working towards a legacy. They think about what they can pass down to their families, what imprint they can leave upon the world. But maybe there are moments where they think about the fact that the vast majority of humanity is forgotten not long after they have passed. And they wonder, does it really matter? Can I leave an imprint that is strong enough? Or will I just be forgotten? Similarly, you have the idea of the Buddhist idea, that really the definition of life is that life is suffering, and then the hope that we have is merely to escape that, to somehow be able to, to get away from it and to step away, to, to, to end the cycle and to, to just sort of dissolve, not into some sort of conscious existence anymore, but just to cease, because the only thing I can see with all the suffering of this life is that I, I just have to get out of it. And so they lead and preach a life of detachment, of not really loving in the sense that we talk about love, because you don't really want to have your heart connected to anything when your hope for that thing is merely that it will cease to exist. But our end that we see in Revelation, the end that we have when we look towards that heavenly city, is not escape, but joy. When we read again, Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. The sea in ancient times was a sign of chaos, a sign of something that is uncontrollable and concerned. And so when he's seeing the symbol of the sea not being there, it's that all of the chaos of life, all those things, that darkness that we can't control are gone. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. The Christian hope is the fulfillment of the Lord's Prayer, that we can say, Your kingdom come, and that there will be a day when we see that manifest in all of its fullness. 
The Westminster Catechism says that the, high, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And there is this promise held out to us here that that is exactly what we will receive. That we will join in worship, but that the worship itself will be joy because God is in our midst and God is with us. And that is the end that we look for. And it's not through removal. It's not through just escaping and being taken away from this world. It's God working the same way that he works in us through death but resurrection, through recreation. Verse 5, which we didn't read this morning, is important because it says, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Not, I've wiped that old thing out and it's just gone. I am making all things new. This is the hope that we have, the new heavens and the new earth, that just as we in our bodies experience death and resurrection if we are in Christ, the entire earth will experience death and resurrection. And there is a continuity, just as there is a continuity in who you are and who you will be, there is a continuity between this earth and the earth to come. It's not the same It's radically different in the sense that all sin, all darkness is wiped away. But it is the recreation. Behold, I am making all things new. And I've talked before about the significance of this idea of continuity for our mission as the church. That it gives us hope that what we do now, the deeds that we do in Christ will endure. The beauty that we work for, the service and the love that we have is not something that just is a slate that gets wiped clean. Is It comes with us into the new heavens and the new earth and the end to which we are purposed. But there is importance and significance in that the earth itself experiences continuity as well. Because it is, means that it is good and right to love the place that we are right now. Not to idealize it, because still this earth needs redemption. But it is not wholly unlike the home for which we are destined. At its best, this world gives us a hint of what we were made for and a longing for the world to come. There is a scene at the end of The Lord of the Rings in the third book, it's not in the movie, in The Return of the King. There's this moment where um, Aragorn, the true king, sort of sneaks in and he comes into the night because there are those whom he loves who are sick and ill and they are in the houses of healing. And he comes in and he takes an herb that the, the herb masters think has no value, but because he is the king and the leaves of the tree are the leaves of healing. He is able to breathe on them and to call back from near death those whom he loves who have been injured. And there's several who he calls back, but one of them is Mary the Hobbit, who has struck a mighty blow against one of Sauron's chiefs. And he is called back. And there's this funny moment where Aragorn just jokes with him, but then his friend Pippin comes in And he's reflecting on his experience and these grand things and this big battle that has been taking place. How he, a little hobbit, has somehow glimpsed the heights of of Aragorn the king. And he has actually participated in what the king is doing. And he says, in a moment, um, Pippin says, as he's talking to Mary, he says, Dear me, 
We took some brandy bucks. We can't live long on the heights. No, said Mary, I can't. Not yet, at any rate. But at least, Pippin, we can now see them and honor them. It is best to love first what we are fitted to love, I suppose. You must start somewhere and have some roots. And the soil of the Shire is deep. Still, there are things deeper and higher. And not a gaffer could tend his garden in what we call peace but for them, whether he knows about them or not. I am glad that I know about them, a little. There is this sense that the hobbits understand, that there are greater things than they but that they get glimpses of those, and their glimpses of greater things deepen their love for the place that they have been given to love and to care for. And it's not just nature, not just the creation that God gives us that is good, though that is good. The vision that we have in the end of, is of a garden and a city, in chapter 21, verses 22 through 23, we see the city. It saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. God's presence fills the city. But it is also, it is also a garden. The garden has not been forgotten either. In chapter 22, verses 1 through 2, it says, The angels show me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, that tree in which Adam and Eve could not take because they were not ready for it, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations." The city and the garden are joined together. God's goodness is not just in nature. It is not just in what humans have made. It is a way in which he is redeeming all things. And all of the earth is filled with his glory now, and even more so in the age to come where we will see it and know it, that all of it is the temple of the Lord. I told you that when I was young, I struggled to find a place where I felt at home. And as I looked to the heavenly city and understood that this is the home for which I was destined, one of the things that I had to learn was to love the place where I am, the place where God has planted me right now. So when I came to Denver, I tried to learn to love the city of Denver. There are many things about it that I did. It is hidden under many things I don't like as well, but it, it also is filled with God's glory. It is there if you have eyes to see. And when I go back home now and walk among the trees of the south, I realize I do have some roots there that there are things there that I love, that I can look back and say, God's glory is here. 
and when I moved up to Fort Collins not so long ago. It's a gift to me. It's a place and a people that I can love. And that growing in love for the place and the people comes because I know that it is a sign of the heavenly city to come, that it will be renewed. That I stand here this morning among people who reflect the glory of God, who will worship not just today, but they will worship forever. That there is a day where the rivers will flow always, not dry up in the summer. And the trees themselves will speak of the life that God has made and given to us. And when you learn to love the place that you have been given, it also allows you to grow in love for the people around you. To work for the good of the city. To work for the good of the world around us. To work for the good of our neighbor. And as we do so, just as Mary was able to say his not yet, as we work in love for the place and the people around us, we become ready for the home to which God is going to bring us one day. I am not ready for that city yet. There's a, in chapter 21, verse 27, it says, nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, I cannot by my efforts earn entrance into that city. It is only by the grace of Jesus and what he has done that my name is in the Lamb's book of life. It is only by his blood that I will one day be able to say that I am not unclean. There's a sense in which that's true now, but again, I wait for its fullness. But he also tells us, even in our gospel reading from today, that he wants us to grow in love and that as we obey his commandments and as we love one another and as we love those who are around us, as we love our neighbor and as we grow in love for God, we are becoming more and more ready for that place in which it will be our eternal home. It is indeed our chief end to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We had best get started now. He doesn't call us to wait until that moment when the heavens and the earth pass away and all things are being made new. He actually has promised already in his word that if you know Jesus, you are being made new right now. And so live as those who have a home in heaven, but a home that allows you to love the home you have been given now. It allows you to more fully glorify God now so that you can glorify Him forever. That allows you to love your neighbor and work for the good of the city and the land that you're in, not out of some idea of leaving an imprint of, of your legacy, but because it is the garden that God has given you. And when you tend it, do so with a glimpse of higher things 
higher and deeper. And know that you are becoming the person who will dwell in that city forever. So now let us tune our hearts to this purpose as we continue in worship and as we go forth in love. This sermon is an audio ministry from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you are in the area and would like to learn more about how you can worship with us in person or online, please visit us on the web at www.christourhopeanglican.org.